Michael Jordan and the Bulls changed the culture. Dennis gave us that edge on the front line. We were winning. Congratulations. Kiss the trophy. Jerry Krause said, we're dismantling this team. I never saw it ending like that. I let my anger motivate the players. What's up? We looked for number six. They all understood who I was. My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. I'm comic book movie guy. No rapper can rap quite like I can. I'll take a muscle bound man and put his face in the sand. Not the last mafioso, I'm an MC cop. Make it say go LL and do the what? If you think you cannot rap me, yeah boy I bet. Cause I ain't met a motherfucker who can do that yet. The best, the all-time best sports documentary on the planet. And I'll tell you why. I got a few reasons why I watched this for probably the fourth or fifth time the other day. Um, listen, guys, Michael Jordan is not just a cultural icon, but he's also one of the very best that has ever mastered the craft that is sports. Um, you know, it's, it's just, there's so many elements to this story. The last dance, you know, there's so many characters. And the reason I thought, hey, it's fitting for this podcast is because it's a sports documentary. It's a type of film I mean, it's a series in this case, a limited series, but the characters remind me of a film, you know? They seem like they were casted. It seems as though they're casted. And in a way, Jerry Krause, he casted this team, if you look at it that way. You know, the general manager of the Bulls at the time was Jerry Krause. And... uh you know, between him and these players with these big egos, you know, it's it makes for a fascinating storyline. And then top it all off with the cultural icon of a century in Michael Jordan and just that side of the story and how, you know, he was this larger-than-life personality. I knew of Michael Jordan when I was a kid. I think all of us did. Um, pretty hard to not know of him. And then with us, you know, with me, I know him more from Space Jam. I love that movie, and, you know, I still love that movie to this day. I think that if you look at all sports documentaries, all sports movies... For that matter, you know, you got the Disney classics like Miracle. They seem to do that story justice, in my opinion. Kurt Russell's great in that. That's one of the best 
motivational speeches in any movie ever, particularly a sports movie, at the end of that movie when they're about to go into the semifinals against the Soviets. And, you know, they just got annihilated at Madison Square Garden before they had played this final game. Like embarrassed on home turf and just a team of college kids who really found a way to unite, found a way to come together to rise up past the Soviets in a time that was very political, in a time that, you know, there's a lot going on in the world that these games mattered. Miracle's another good one. Let's go to Moneyball. Now, if you're like me, baseball is on top of the sports world for me. Um, It's just such an intricate game, and it takes more than just turning on your TV to understand it, you know? And it's with any sport. You watch hockey, you watch basketball, you watch golf, you watch curling. There's strategy, right? But baseball is fascinating to me because I grew up playing it. And to know the ins and outs of what it takes to play that game and play it strategically and how many, like it's infinite. There's infinite talk in the baseball world. What can we improve here? What can we improve there? You know, three, two count, where are you running? What are you looking for? You know, situational play. That's what I love about baseball. There's so many different rules and different situations that you need to be aware of. Your senses need to be in an absolute high when you're playing. But then you get the average watcher at home who flips on the TV and, ah, baseball's boring. You know, throw the ball, hit the ball, catch the ball. Way more to it than that. I turn on curling, throwing a rock, you know, trying to land somewhere in the middle. The rings count for different points. But no, there's so much more to it than that. There's strategy, there's guards. You know, when to attack, when to defend. The curling aspect of it, the rock curling, literally curling, curving around other rocks. I don't know. I mean, there's... Sports are... Not only are sports, like, fascinating in that regard... But like you add the personalities of the athletes and you add sort of the media element. Sports are dramatic. You know, you want to talk about where my dramatic side came from. Yeah. Sports, you know, like anyone who's ever played a playoff hockey game in their life knows what it's like to compete knows what it's like to want that so bad. And as a group, you know, you're fighting for the same cause. You're fighting for the same joint collective win. And that's, that's powerful stuff. A lot of my friends today were met through sports. And that's why I think sports are important. You know, and it's too bad that politics come into sports 
because there is so much politics in sports. The older I get and the more I watch, you know, the behind the scenes stuff and the media element and just how toxic a place like Twitter can be, sports are a blessing and a curse. And, you know, I, I often say, you guys got to be careful. Media, mainly. But not all media. Just some of the select few media. Because you're going to run people out of the game. I mean, it's talked about in The Last Dance. Like, you guys, like Magic Johnson would often say to the media, you guys are going to run him out of this game. And they did. You know? There's factors to Michael Jordan's uh, first retirement, like his father being murdered. I think anybody would be shaken by that. It's just, it's such a fascinating documentary because Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, like the players that they're interviewing throughout are giving you such raw behind-the-scenes information and what they actually truly felt about it. And nobody's lying, you know? I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf, I think that's his name, he was the, he was the owner of the Bulls, and he owned the White Sox. That's the baseball team in Chicago. And that's the team that ultimately, when Jordan retired in 95, 96, somewhere in there maybe, uh, you know, the 18-month hiatus from the game of basketball, he went and played double-A ball for none other than Terry Francone, the... Cleveland Guardians manager. He played ball for them. You know, he he batted whatever it was, 250. He's an absolute all-around athlete, but they talk about his work ethic. You know, he was almost obsessed. Jordan was obsessed with getting better. He was addicted to winning. You know, his teammates, they talk about him, you know, I want to I want to have your money in my pocket. You know, like he just, it was never enough. Always wanted more. Always wanted, he was just so hyper competitive. And it translated into his game. And it translated into his public image. And it's just like, it's fascinating stuff. You look at that team. And I, I literally, so the team, the team members that come in and out throughout they're they're sort of pawns on the chessboard guarding the king or queen (laughs) you know like jordan and pippin and they're sort of like they're the pawns that just kind of get shuffled throughout like there's guys like uh steve kerr and uh bill witherington or whatever his name was there was the three mega titans there was the there was dennis rodman Scottie Pippen, and Michael Jordan. And those were the three guys who sort of 
became the trifecta in Chicago and they complemented each other's game so well. But off the court, three hyper-polar opposite personalities. Dennis Rodman is an absolute head case, right? Like he's, you know, the, the tactics, the shit he pulled when he was playing. You know, it was drugs, it was alcohol, it was... You know, people, there were threats against his own life at times, you know, like there's that story of when he was playing for the Pistons where they found him in a parking lot, like with a gun in his hand, in his vehicle. Scary stuff, dark stuff, right? And like, everybody talks about Dennis off the court throughout the the course of the documentary, but they all have a collective agreement in that Dennis brought the defensive side of the game, the rebounding, you know, like he, Dennis talks about, he wants to go out there and get cut. I want to get hurt. You know, I want to get a bloody nose, a broken nose. He's kind of like a, like a third or fourth liner on a hockey team in a sense. And that aspect that Dennis brought to the Bulls, like apparently complimented Michael Jordan's game or Scottie Pippen's game because they never, they always had the ball in their hand. You know, you're always going to have the ball in your hand when you got a guy who can beat literally anybody in the league to the ball at the rim. That sequence where Dennis Rodman is talking about how he went to a gym, a high school gym, at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. He would go with his buddies every so often. And he would just have them shoot three-point shots, you know, jump shots from just inside the the three-point line, free-throw shots. And he would just... He would react, react, react. Different clicks off the rim. You know, when he talks about it, he's click here, click there, click back here. You know, Jordan, he's going to have spin on it. Scottie Pippen, he don't got nothing on the ball, he says. So he would actually, he would study players to the point where he would know, like, opponents' shooting styles, how the ball would leave their hand. You know, like some, if you watch the NBA, if you watch NBA highlights, some of the guys, when they, when they shoot the ball, you know, there's spin. There's spin on the ball. Other guys, it looks like a knuckleball in baseball. It doesn't move at all, in a sense. You know, that palm, it's sort of like a palm throw. <laughs> I don't know much about basketball, but I love the shooting aspect of basketball. It's super impressive. The guys who sort of have the, the skill and the talent to go all the way down the floor and dunk or, you know, do these crazy high verticals and dunk. That's what I truly am impressed. And, like, that's on another level, right? Like, those are guys who are meant to be there, who are meant to do what they're doing. And it's super cool that they're using their size, muscle, strength to, you know, to be a basketball player, to dunk, to put on a show for people. But what Michael Jordan had, and you know, and that's actually, that's what I would describe Scottie Pippen as, is that guy who was just all around athletic. And he's just sort of like, he was the humble sidekick to Jordan's circus and Rodman's circus. Pippen was there. And you know, there were times where he was not agreeing with management. Like Jerry Krause was a dink. There's no other way of putting it, you know, he had the little man syndrome, they called it, where, you know, 
he's he's got to be the bigger guy. He's got to be the better. You know, I got more money. I got more power. I got more this, that, the other. You know, like he just he came across as that guy, and and mostly in that interview after they won the second or third one, um, he's you know he's talking to the reporter. He's doused in champagne. He's like, you know, the players, the players are what they are. But you know, this is the all-time best organization, and you know that's what I'm truly, truly proud of is the organization. Like that's what you know, and that was the that was the divide. Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and Steve Kerr and all these guys, they were the players that that brought the championships, right? But you have to give credit to the organization and ultimately that's where the documentary goes. It goes to this place where like the players are saying, yeah, you know, like ultimately Jerry Krause built an incredible organization and he did but at the heart of that organization was phil jackson and phil jackson who and that's what i love about this documentary too is i learned so much about these characters these guys who were they were just phenomenal like phil jackson is so cool his story how he was you know he went and coached way overseas. They were, you know, to the point where he, he faced the, he faced the shit overseas. Like he said, like rival teams would come in with a chicken and like, uh, sacrifice a chicken and pour the blood all over the, the, uh, uh, visitors bench and stuff. Like, and then they talk about his, uh, his biography is his book. And how he talks about taking acid in the 70s or whenever he was playing for the Knicks. And, you know, he, he's got this sort of like, he talks about Native American tribes, uh, like roots, right? Like he, he has the, he loves that stuff. He's got, he had that connection to Dennis Rodman. They sort of connected spiritually. And that's how like Phil Jackson was able to like control Rodman, who like, in my opinion, like when I look at Dennis Rodman back then, complete lost cause in the NBA nowadays, right? Like write him off, gone. No worries. Avoidance. You know, we avoid players like that. But like Chicago at the time, it's so impressive what they were able to do with Dennis Rodman. They would let him go. They would just let him go to Las Vegas. You know, they'd just be like, yeah, go party it out. Get it out of your system, but be here and be ready. And he was. You know, they talk about running laps around the gym, around the facility. And Dennis would be the first. You know, they'd have to catch up to the guy who was leading. And Dennis would be leading. And they'd have to catch up. And it, was just, it would just be a terrible practice because they were chasing Rodman the whole time. Like, he was just athletic and talented that way. You know, he was a brute force. And that's awesome. I want to talk about the swagger. Like I talk about swagger like style. But there was a demeanor in the NBA at the time. The colors. The style of the uniforms. The logos. The team names. I mean the team names are a lot of them are the same now. And the logos are still cool in the NBA. But there's something about that retro look. Similar to how I feel about retro NHL jerseys or baseball jerseys. They're cool. They're awesome. 
but like the NBA had swagger and you pair it with sort of this eighties, nineties rap that was starting to come to light in that day and age. Uh, yeah, it's badass. It's super cool. And a guy like Jordan with the Air Jordans, you know, like Nas, the rapper Nas, he came on the documentary and he's talking about, you know, like everyone knew that Michael Jordan was the dude. Like he was the guy. And you had to have these shoes. You had to have the Air Jordans. And, you know, you pair that with the fact that Michael Jordan could literally fly. That's what's cool. That's what's awesome. Is like Air Jordan makes sense because he, and the pose as well. And just the sheer color of the bulls. You know, they come out with those sort of like parachute jackets that say, that have the bulls logo on the back. And then you have like the Celtics, Larry Bird and the Celtics from that era of time, all the mullets and these big guys, the Detroit Pistons even, how they were considered the bad boys. Isaiah Thomas, you know, he was a dick. And to this day, you can still see that there's that pride there that he had. You know, there's, and it's funny because like Dennis Rodman played on that Pistons team and they beat the shit out of Michael Jordan in those series. Out of the, and it's cool to see the evolution of how long the Bulls had lost for with Michael Jordan and how they evolve into this like team that could take it. You know, they can take on these different opponents that would come through like the Indiana Pacers. You know, they had these huge series with so much on the line each time and they just would always rise to the occasion to the point where, you know, Jordan and those guys, they... They almost like, they seemed so calm, no matter what. Jordan always knew that he was going to win. He knew. And when we get into the sort of aspect where he's talking about being an asshole in practice and pushing his teammates to be as good as they could possibly be, that's the most powerful scene in the whole documentary, in my opinion, is he's there talking to Netflix and getting emotional, you know, like they ask him the question, what does it feel like to be, you know, for you when you hear that maybe over the course of your career that you weren't seen as a nice guy? Like, and they obviously ask all of the people that they're talking to, these educated sports commentators who were there. You know, Bob Costas, he was there. He called those games. These ESPN writers, you know, um, Jordan's like right-hand man that was a reporter that stayed with him at all times. Like it felt like that one reporter was with him at all times. And I'm not going to remember his name now, but, you know, he's a, it was like Ahmad something. But he was like with him at all times. And when you talk to Michael Jordan and you ask him, you know, and, and you ask these other people, was he a nice guy? And they're like, let's not get it wrong. He was an asshole. You know, the fear factor. And you just see him in practice. He would pace. Jordan would pace around and sort of stare down his teammates. He'd be constantly in the ears of guys like Scott Burrell. You know, like always razzing him. You suck, dog. You suck at this. You suck at that. You know, it was just, 
I know that I wouldn't respond well to that. And I know a lot of those guys didn't respond well to that. But Jordan's explanation is one of the best we're gonna or one of the best of all time. Like he just says, he says straight up, he's like, look, if you don't want to do it, if you don't want to be the best, I pushed people from my position that I was in, I pushed people so that they could win. And as he's talking about it, they're showing, you know, the happiness of the victories over the years. Years and years of these guys feeling what it's like to be a champion. And Jordan right there with them. And yes, it was the Michael Jordan show. But without Michael Jordan, who's to say those guys would have gotten those experiences? And that's how he looks at it. And he is crying when he's telling this. He's getting choked up, right? Like, winning. Win at all costs. Even if it took a toll on his image on who he was as a human being, as how he was perceived. I'm of the opinion that no matter what Michael Jordan was, there would have been something. Human beings are always capable of finding something. For Michael Jordan, it was he wasn't a nice guy and he had a gambling problem. But was it really a problem? Because let's be honest, $20,000 for Michael Jordan is nothing more than a night out on the town. And I'm of the firm belief that if you're that good and you can talk the talk the way he did and walk the walk the way he did, you can do whatever the hell you want as long as it's not hurting other people. And he wasn't. Maybe verbally abusing some of his teammates, but that's the level that those people were at. The NBA, the highest level possible. You're going to face competitive, competitive people. And there was a lot of games where the game was on the line. And Jordan, the cool part about Michael Jordan was that it would always start with, we got to get the ball in Michael's hand. We got to get the ball in Michael's hand. But no, over the course of time, Michael started using his teammates in key moments. You know, I think of Bill Paxton's shot. He knows that Paxton's going to be open. Like, he made these suggestions to the coaches, too. And Phil Jackson would listen. One thing Phil Jackson did better than any other coach is he listened to his players and respected his players for who they were as human beings first. What their needs were. He listened to them. It wasn't about player versus coach, ever. You get so many coaches that develop an ego of their own, and they end up trying to steal the show by making boneheaded decisions or... You know, interviews, Phil was quiet. Phil was a quiet guy. He was composed. He said the right things. But then you hear him in the scrums and stuff because these cameras caught everything, right? Like they had him down on courtside during the big moments in the game. And Phil would, you know, we got to get on this. You know, like he would, he would just 
rip these guys. A new asshole on that court. But the Jekyll and Hyde, the yin and the yang, he would also console these players. I don't know what it would have been like to, you know, be a fly on the wall in this situation or be a fly on the wall in that situation. And that's how the last dance makes you feel. It makes you feel like you're a fly on the wall. And that's why it's so cool and why I recommend it to anyone who enjoys sports or who likes Michael Jordan or doesn't like Michael Jordan. It's a fascinating story between his retirement where he went to play baseball for a year, you know, got semi-good at it, you know, that plus like his entire story of how he claimed or got to the success level that he did, he's like the first true icon that was created without, you know, cell phones and all that stuff. Like he doesn't have Instagram, he doesn't have Facebook, you know, like these things are what promote athletes nowadays. They can promote themselves on these platforms. Michael Jordan had none of that, and he was worldwide known. And not just worldwide known, known, worldwide famous. Like, celebrity, by being so good at a sport. I want to see a feature film about all of this one day. One day, whether it's way down the line or tomorrow, I want them to announce some kind of Chicago Bulls movie. <laughs> you know, that would be awesome. Uh, will I get it? I don't know. But listen, I don't do this story justice. So if you're a fan of basketball or you're looking for a, something really intriguing to watch, I recommend The Last Dance on Netflix. I thank you guys for listening to me ramble on about sports for a change. Probably won't happen for a long time. So thanks for listening, guys. I've been Comic Book Movie Guy. Take it easy. I'm Comic Book Movie Guy.